Welcome to Sales Talk for CEOs. I'm glad you're here. I'll be interviewing CEOs who have successfully scaled their B2B sales organization. In each episode, I'll start by uncovering the sales background of each CEO, dig into the strategies they use to build their sales organization, and wrap it up with what the future holds. We'll cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of scaling a sales organization. I'm your host, Alice Hyman. What do you learn from four successful startups? That sales is not the same as it used to be. How do you become successful in sales? You've got to look around and see that you can't keep doing what you used to do. And that's why I'm excited to have Armand on the show with me today to talk about his success in growing sales on his now fourth successful company. Welcome, Armand. Thanks, Alice, for having me. Very happy to be here. And your company, your current company is about six years old. It's called Curve. And I think that kind of sounds like wine. I like that a lot, but I know it's not about wine. I know it's about analytics for SaaS companies. Um, but why don't you tell us in your own words exactly what your company does? Sure. So Curve is an embedded analytic technology that SaaS companies can infuse within their own product to enrich their product and it saves them time to go to market right and spending years and millions of dollars it just they can add world-class rich product functionalities when it comes to analytics and just go to market yeah and so that is something that most SaaS companies need and as we were talking about a little bit earlier before we started recording you mentioned anywhere from startup to a very mature billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar company can use this type of analytics. That's correct. So uh, we have some startups using our software, and we have also, you know, billion-dollar companies cloudifying, going to cloud. They can still modernize their applications and use our technology. And uh, what we have seen is that um, many of these SaaS companies, they, are, they excel in getting the data in, and then they need to get the data out at one point and not just get the data out. They wanted to make it self-service so customers and end users can do it on their own. And that's the magic. So when you want really them being controlled and the users actually get the data out on their own, that's where there is a little bit of, you know, technical kind of, you know, complexity there. And that's the part that the yeah. company says, hey, I can build it or yeah. I can just simply go there and infuse this technology and save time and have a very you know, good functionality as part of my product that increases my revenue and retaining better the customers I have and all of those. And that's where we come to that place. And that's where they use Curve. Well, it sounds a little bit like magic to me. <laughs> and everybody wants a little bit of magic, especially when it comes to data these days, because we have so much data that goes completely unused because people simply don't know how to access it and then make it usable and ready, readily available to the people who need it most. Yeah, exactly. So world is about data nowadays, right? So you see that increasingly that if you have a coffee shop, you can actually enrich 
or maybe you can improve your coffee making process or you can improve your data and do a better marketing which one benefits your coffee shop more i would say data i would yeah. bet on data to bring more customers to your coffee shop <laughs> than making your coffee 10 percent better then so data is everywhere doesn't matter where you are what you do if you know data well your business will grow amazon is amazon because they know data and they have data, right? Oh, yeah. so, and then you can see how they are doing and, you know, still they can grow and grow because the better and the more data they have, they grow faster. Yeah, absolutely. So there's obviously a huge need for what you're doing. And six years ago, you uh, were probably just selling your other company. And how did the idea come to you for Curvey? Yeah, my friends tell me that you have a, a, a couple of characteristics as they analyze me. Number one, you are good at choosing names that nobody can pronounce. So all of the companies you start, uh, it's just hard to pronounce the name. The previous one was Logi XML. And then most people could not really blend that Logi and XML and this kind of thing. So, um, and then we named, we changed it finally to Logi Analytics. Uh, this one is Curvey. I don't know if you should change it at one point or not. Um, and then the other thing that they tell me is, you know, one thing, and just you do it again and again. So my first company at the age of 18, first year in university, when I started, that was on MS-DOS. And then Windows came in, and I was one of the first products on Windows. And then XML and Web came in, and we were one of the first products on XML and Web and doing analytics. Wow. And now AWS... And serverless came and we were one of the first again on this platform that from my perspective is the new operating system. So the same thing, it's just with different paradigm, with different kind of underlying technology that makes a lot of difference because many things that we couldn't do do 20 years ago, now it's so easy to do. And based on these technologies that are available to us and these services, and in general, software world, is getting to the point that it's very much about cooperating with each other, right? So it's a it's something that you put these pieces together, unlike 30 years ago, that you were building everything from the scratch. Now, yeah. if you look at the biggest and the most successful software companies on earth, they are bringing a lot of technologies and building upon other technologies to get there, yeah. including if you look at Amazon, AWS, when there are so many different technologies, open source layers after layers, and then you build this kind of great technology and platform. The same with any other technology. So that's really what I have done, just going after the same thing with the new technology shifts and then see how it can bring more benefits to the market and do things that you couldn't do before. You have so much passion around this, Armand, I can tell. And most people after three successful companies might have said, hey, maybe I'll just like go play a little golf or relax or something. But no, you started another company and I really admire that. So you're six yeah. years into it. But think back to when you first started. I'm sure as with your other companies, you grew sales initially with founder-led growth. Tell us a little bit about how you started out with your sales and then how you grew your sales. Sure. Uh, one comment about what you just said. My father is 85 and still, if he stops working for more than a few weeks, 
he's itching. He cannot do that. He has to get back and just do something. So, so I'm still not 85. So getting there. Um, All right. Well, you've got, I think you have a lot more years to uh, successfully grow companies. Yeah. So, yeah. So as a founder, essentially it was interesting. I do remember a small company I acquired some years ago from my previous company. I met the founder in Los Angeles and he said, uh, I said, what are you doing uh, with your company? And this guy said, well, I haven't been able to really sell to more customers. So I'm hiring a new salesperson and he's going to do it for us. And then I said, impossible. If you as a founder cannot sell, how do you think a new salesperson? I mean, that's impossible. I'm telling you, and you can call me in six months and tell me I'm wrong. Didn't happen. He didn't call me to say I'm wrong. He called and said, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm, I'm just doing it myself, but it's a new way that founder sells in my view. That's a, yeah. not exactly the same way that you sell when you have a professional dedicated revenue and sales team in place. So right. founders need to understand that. But at the same yeah, time- Yeah, I'm going to stop you right there to make a point just yeah. because this is so important. I cannot tell you how many times I have had founders. I mean, you you have that one experience. I've probably had a hundred okay, we, we're not selling anything. We're going to go hire some salespeople to sell. And you are 100% right. If the founder can't sell it, probably nobody can sell it. And it's so important for founders to take note of that and to understand that they have to be the first seller and they have to get that sales process right and listen to those customers so they can make the changes needed. And then when they have it to the point where it's, repeatable for themselves, then they can start to think about, okay, now we can, we can bring on a sales team. So thank you for sharing that because it's just so important. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, which I would say, um, if I cannot sell as a founder, definitely no salesperson will be able to sell. At the same time, I would like to admit that really people that I know on the sales part they do much better job than me, right? So, <laughs> so when it comes to sales, I cannot really keep up with them. I cannot do as great job as they do. So every time um, I see what they're doing, I really admire that. And as a founder CEO, the same, I cannot do as good as job that a marketing person does in marketing. I'm not a professional marketing. I'm not a product manager. I'm not engineer. I'm not... You know, none of those are not really as good as them in what they do. Right. But at the same time, you know, my job is to start it, to get it started, to really understand how to get it started and then bring the right people who are really good at what they do and let them actually do it great in the right way, in the great way. But the initiation is just something that, you know, is important to know and understanding but i never ever would claim as a founder that i know and i can actually do better in any of these departments right gotcha but i think what the point is is we as founders set it up so that the salespeople we hire can be highly successful and even better than we are as founders at sales so I think that's the key now when you i mean when you started this company you had already 
grown sales at three other companies. So you probably learned a thing or two while you were doing that and you had that under your belt. So you were probably able to get sales up and running a little bit quicker and a little bit better. So tell us about what that looked like, um, how quickly you decided to hire salespeople and what other channels you might've set up for sales um, and anything else that really helped you grow the sales in the beginning. Sure. So, um, you know, as you would know uh, better than me, sales and in general, you know, business is very multidimensional, right? So there are so many dimensions that can affect the way you do it. In our case, in particular, what we tried to build was a very sophisticated platform. And we came to the market when market had a very high expectation and it was a very established concept. So people knew what they should expect. In my previous company, when I came to market, the expectation of the market, because web was brand new, was way less. So we could go to market mm -hmm. in a totally different way, with a different way of selling and marketing. When we started the previous company, Google was unknown to people. Not <laughs> everyone knew about Google. And we were new. We knew about Google. We knew about AdWord. And everybody I was talking to was had no idea what AdWord is, what Google is. And it turned out to be really, for us, lifesaver. It turned out that everyone we sell to goes to AdWord and those kind of people we wanted to attract. And we were amongst the very, very first companies that started Google marketing. And it was the lead gen and the sole lead gen up to a few millions of dollars of revenue. And then we employed other sales channels and marketing channels, right? So, so it's different dimensions. At Curve, just particularly with regard to this company, very sophisticated product. We started building and building, and we needed to make sure that we are ready before we go and just recruit and bring the revenue team. Yeah. The best asset, in my view, that sales team has is confidence and belief. And if they don't really have that confidence and belief, their effectiveness is way less. So in order for them to gain that confidence, they need to have the right product behind them. They need to have something that actually helps people, actually works, actually satisfies a good need. And if you break that confidence and go too early and give them the product, the customer use it, they're not happy, you're breaking, right. your, that confidence is gone. Not something you can easily repair. So, and building a revenue team is probably, if not the most, is probably one of the most expensive things you can do for the company. <laughs> yes. So I needed to make sure that we are ready. So we had this kind of testing almost at least once a year, but sometimes at the end, every even nine months, a little bit earlier, but I had to test it and test it and test it and see if you are ready to really go make the investment, bring people, revenue team, marketing, sales, and start doing that. Um, I'm lucky a little bit on this regard, in this regard, because I know people from previous company as well. And I was lucky that, you know, they wanted to work with me again. I don't know why, but they wanted to essentially get back and essentially work together. I know why they wanted to work with you again. You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind of you. So I was lucky with that regard. And then we said, okay, let's do this. Let's, 
you come in half time, do the consulting for me, go and just independently on your own and just see if you can really talk to some of these people, companies, and see if they are willing to test our product, if they think our product is ready, if they are willing to buy the product. And then after some months that we did that for four or five months, then the person came to me and said, yeah, I think, you know, I am ready to start selling and the product is getting there. So it's the right time to start. And that person is who today he's our CRO and COO and in charge of the revenue team. And he has started interviewing at the same time at the end of that period. And then we started the sales and then every quarter and every you know, year it moved up, moved up, moved up. And that was one of the reasons that we could just multiply the sales 11 times in the second year compared to the first year, just because we were ready. And that builds that kind of confidence. So you can really move up, move up. And we know that we are on, you know, on, on something really special here. We have built it, nurtured it, built it that way. So, so I think that's really the way in our case, it worked very well because we needed to make sure this complex, sophisticated kind of need we are, you know, having the market with these software companies, they can actually use it very effectively, efficiently, and sales needed to see it in action. Yeah, I like what you said about confidence. I think that is so important because this, our buyers need to have confidence in us. Right. I, I was talking with Brent Adamson. He used to be a distinguished uh, analyst at Gartner, and now he's with another company. We're still good friends. And buyer confidence is so key today. But how can a buyer have confidence if the salespeople don't have confidence that their product's going to work the way they were told it would work and, you know, that they'll be onboarded smoothly and all of those things that salespeople need to be confident in. And I do think that some founders jump the gun. They want everybody to go out and sell before we're actually ready to go out and sell. So I like the way you did that, where you had people that you knew from the industry who understood what you were doing, go out and talk to people, right? And find out a few things. And then just by the nature of it, when it sounds good, you know, companies will ask, oh, well, is that ready? Can we purchase that yet? Right. And then it just starts to roll. And then you, you know, as most companies do start out with a few customers and can they give you feedback and you can make those changes until you're ready to now just rock and roll, right? Get more salespeople out there selling. So it sounds like uh, you learned over the, the many companies that you've been successful with how to do that. But I'm really interested also in um, your growth from founder-led selling till now. And earlier you mentioned to me something that I've been talking a lot about, which is that sales has changed. The buyers have changed and we just, the things that you and I did when we were young selling back in the, you know, eighties and nineties, you know, you could just walk in sometimes and get to have a conversation with somebody. You could pick up the phone and call and people actually answered the phone and they wanted to talk to you because they had no other way to learn about your products and services. There was no, oh, maybe the internet was invented, but it wasn't like it is now. They couldn't just look you up in the internet. They had to look in the phone book, right? For those of you who don't know what a phone book is, look it up, Google it. But um, that's, you know, that's all changed. So I, uh, 
you really understand that as a CEO. And that's important because Armand, I have CEOs out there who are, believe it or not, when their sales teams don't hit the numbers, they're telling their sales leaders, get them to make more calls, send more emails, do more spammy LinkedIn messages because they, the CEO themselves doesn't understand that the way we used to sell doesn't work and the way the buyer wants to buy has changed. That's very correct. So um, yeah, in my view, honestly, um, it's not the same as 10 years ago, right? So marketing is not the same, sales is not the same, um, even not just software. I mean, you look outside software, people don't sell the same way, even non-software products. Everything, the sales and marketing is changing and we are in the midst of that change. So some people have already realized it. Some people may realize it later, but we are in the midst of it. And what is happening is marketing and sales, both of them, in my view, they are transforming to become more about educating. So the more and the better you can really educate people, then sales happen, right? And if it did not happen, it's because either your service or product is not useful or it's not right. working. So right. either the market, the need is not there or the need is there, the product does not deliver. Yeah. But if the product delivers and the need is real, the rest is just educating the market, right? right? And, and the more you educate the market on sales front, marketing front, so, you know, you can, you can set a goal that my goal is to selling more. And that's the mistake I made in my, you know, in my uh, earlier companies when I was younger. I was so happy in early 30s to get the check and add a customer and name it success. Later right. on, what I learned is the ultimate success is to make the customer successful, not to just sell. The minute that you sign up a customer, still is too early to claim a victory. You need to really get the customer to the final line and customer tell you that they are happy and they couldn't do what they do without you. And yeah. that's the time we celebrate, right? And if you get to that point, and that's the number of customers we count, not the number of customers we sign up, because that becomes part of the culture when you celebrate that part, then you are not just asking the sales team to sign up customers. Yeah. If this customer is not going to be successful, Right. What is the point of signing them up? So if you are a short-term thinker, as maybe when I was younger, I was short-term thinker, yeah. then, you know, you're just getting adding customer, customer, we signed up thousands of customers in my previous company. And that was to me, wow, such a great success, but a better success. That's good. But a greater success is if I could actually make all of them successful rather than I was able to make half of them successful. And then I looked back and said, why am I making half of these customers very successful? And why the other half are okay, but not really thrilled about what we did. And then I looked at many other companies that to me were great companies, right? So when I look at Apple, it's not like half of people who buy iPhone can work with iPhone and they are happy and the other half are unhappy. 
You know, right. it's not like when I look at Tesla customers, half of them, the car drives, half of them, the car doesn't, you know, so they really go and just make those. Those are the great companies that really get to where nobody else has been able to do that. And I thought if I wanted to do another business, I wanted to create a business that sticks with customers, does not look at how many customers I sign up, look at how many customers I really can make a huge difference for their business. And that's where you can get to a totally different level. Um, and uh, if it's just about selling, then totally the processes will change at Curvey, right? So we can, we can really, honestly, we can remove a lot of processes we have now uh, and it will sell more, but we will have less successful customers. Um, in some cases, we are slowing down our sales just to make sure that we have gone through this trial. We understand their use case. They understand our capabilities. And then when we sign them up, the expectation is right. The process is known. They have the right time, the right budget, the right expectation. We have a good understanding of what they want to do. And that is is much better for creating a success rather than we early on push forward, get them as a customer, sign them up, and then tons of these surprises pop up. The reality is um, if you're a SaaS company, you're a subscription-based company, and you have a big churn, you're not going to succeed, right? And the question is how you can lower your churn, how you can minimize the churn, well, you have to make them successful. So right. the celebration is when they are there forever as a customer with you, not when you sign them up after a year, they come back and say, no, we are not renewing because you know, right. they are not super happy. That's the only way to truly build a sustainable company is to make sure that the customers are successful. And you all heard it here. Don't measure the number of customers measure the number of successful customers. I think that is absolutely right, Arman, to think about just adding more and more customers without thinking about their success and what they gain and how they feel and whether or not they can live without you, right? Um, those are things that are much more important than just bringing on new customers. But as you and I both know, when we have investors, a lot of times they're all screaming for new logos, right? Bring in more new customers, customers we've never done business with before, neglecting those that we have and also neglecting that process of onboarding and engaging them and getting user adoption. And especially, of course, in SaaS companies. And I don't know if you've heard of uh, Jaco Vanderkoy, but he wrote Winning by Design. And his funnel looks like a bow tie. It's wide on the end where a lot are entering, narrows down to the close, and then widens back out. Because once they're your customer, there's so much more, right? There's so much more. And he believes, as you do, and I do, that it's all about successful customers, not just more customers. So um, that has probably helped you grow your company more than you could have ever imagined. So tell us a bit about what 
your sales looks like today, how your sales organization works. Is it all direct sellers? Do you have channel sellers? Do people, you know, how do people find you? And a little bit about, you know, just how you are working with your customers today to bring them in to find you. Would love to, but you mentioned a very important point, And I think yeah. if, if I may, I would like to comment on it. So you mentioned that investors are asking for, you know, hey, you know, how many new logos you have and these kind of things. That's, that's very true. But at the same time, I would say I have been in that spot myself in my previous companies. And sometimes you don't have that experience and you don't you cannot explain it well. So if the CEO cannot explain it well, for example, Jeff Bezos explained it well to investors when they asked for short term goals and he could educate investors that I'm looking for long term goals. Right. So first, the founder and CEO needs to be able to articulate that well. Yes. And then you need to choose and you need to find the investors that also they have the long term yes. mentality. And if that happens, and if the founder, I'm a believer that if the founder and CEO of the company is articulating on that and has a, and, and believe in it, and that strong belief is there. So when he says it, it's not like I'm just saying it. No, no, I'm saying it and I truly believe in it. Right. And then with that kind of confidence and belief, then automatically they will understand that, believe me, it's better for us long-term and mid-term in two years, three years, you will appreciate the fact that I'm actually doing this. And it may not make this quarter as great as you like, but it will make overall the result much better and bigger than yeah. you think. So that's number one. And then investors need to be long-term thinkers. There are short-term yeah. thinkers out there and there are long-term, and it's not just about investors. In anything, even when you go to a restaurant, the restaurant owner can be a short-term thinker or can be a long-term thinker. If you go to you know, anything that we do, every minute, every single decision we make in life, we can make it short-term. With short-term return, I can take this sugary stuff and eat it because it's sugary and nice and it gives me super, super, you know, quick calorie, or I can be a longer term kind of person and say, I want to be, you know, moderately consume everything, including sugar. So, so that really is about everything. So that's the point on that front, which I believe that it helps if really founders and, 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 and CEOs really go with that kind of long-term vision and explain it and try it at least. And then many of these investors will, will, will be fine with it because there are some long-term benefits come with it. Um, yes. But when it comes to really explaining the way our revenue model and engine works, we are very much 100% OEM business, right? So we are B2B2B um, for most part. That means that other SaaS companies, um, for example, we are not selling to a bank. We are selling to a software company that sells to bank. So rather than selling to, you know, hospital, we are selling to a health uh, software provider that sells to hospitals. So in that case, the way it works best for us is to go where SaaS companies are and 
we are talking about a very laser hyper-focused kind of, you know, company like Corvay that is targeting that kind of community of SaaS companies. Um, and from that aspect, you know, our marketing is not targeting 2 million businesses out there. It's targeting some thousands of potential prospects for us. And then very targeted, we go there. And then we do content marketing and we do want to do more and more content marketing. That's the most effective type of marketing for us. The better content we create, the better white paper, the better type of slides, the better type of podcast, the better type of everything that can help SaaS companies to actually learn and do better, then that helps them, that helps us. So, so they appreciate when they see something that with regard to embedded analytics, there is no other company on earth that is so specialized and focused as we are. There are other companies do that as part of their business, but this is the only thing we do, right? So, so in that case, it helps us to specialize in that particular domain. And every month and every quarter and every year, we just specialize more and more and get better and better and add more value in what we say and what we can do, and it helps them. And then we go to these SaaS companies and essentially it's a digital marketing. The idea is to be where they are, even you know, either on Google page or on LinkedIn page or in a show, in a real kind of you know, show like uh, reInvent that Amazon, a, a, you know, AWS Amazon has, yeah. you know, we will be there having a booth. And then people come in and just, you know, we talk with them and we show them what we have and essentially do the education part and explaining to them why even they need this or how doing this is much better than doing the other way, how it can save them time. And if you do a good job in saving them time, explaining those items, then they can come to us and say, okay, I wanted to see this webinar. I wanted to see this demo. And then the sales process, the funnel is more like you see a demo and within one hour, you essentially can get a good understanding. That's the 80-20 rule. During the very first hour, you get a good understanding of the pricing. You get a good understanding of the use case on both sides, what we can do, what they want to do, what is the architecture, what is everything. And then at the end of the hour, if you feel, and we feel that everything going forward, it goes through the next step that is more the trial and other meetings, and then they actually try our software on their own environment and then we help them and after that if everything goes well after some week and we provide it at no charge and then they decide if they want to move forward or not and then based on their timeline we move forward and that's a subscription model and then we support them like we are part of their company and essentially the same way they look at their own kind of development they look at us and then we are part of their product and work with them. So, so that's yeah. that's the, the the structure that we have in place today. Yeah. So it sounds like your go-to-market team intersects with your customer at many different points in their journey to purchase, and in many different ways. So they have available to them as buyers content to draw from maybe a trade show, maybe a webinar, maybe some written material. Um, they have a lot of different ways to come in contact with your company and to learn 
And then if that sounds good to them, they can get that demo and get a lot of the information they need right then and there before they decide if they should continue on. Now, a question for you, the salespeople on your team are selling to the companies that actually will end up selling the software to the end user companies, correct? Yes, correct. So when you market to the end user, how does your company um, put that back through? I, I don't know if you call them resellers or distributors or system integrators, but tell us about that part. Sure. So in our case, it's fully OEM based. In most cases, we don't do revenue sharing unless really our partner wants us to do so. But in most okay. cases, we don't. So think of, for example, um, a mobile phone that you have. There are many pieces there that have been OEM from others. But when right. you buy it, you just buy that device from right. Samsung or Apple or whoever. When you buy a car, there are many pieces there that have been OEM, but you buy the car from Ford or GM or anybody. So in that right. case, we are part of that product, but we are not visible necessarily to their end users or customers, right? So our brand okay. may not be known, but some of them like to advertise our brand and we will be happy if they wanted to do so. They don't have to. So it's up to them. For example, sometimes some computers say, hey, Intel built in, we have Intel right. processors. They want to advertise Intel, but maybe right. some other computers, they don't want to advertise what is the processor inside the company. So it's up to them in some cases um, and, and the provider, of course, in our case, we have no obligation for them to advertise us. It's up to them, but, um, but we don't see their end user. We support them to support their end users. Um, so oh, okay. our role and our job is to empower them and then they go to their end users and the same way that they support, um, for example, their users, um, you know, with their functionalities, they support their users with the functionalities we offer them. So mm -hmm. it, it makes the business in an interesting way because, for example, in our case, uh, when we write a document, we are not just writing the document as a regular product or a regular company will do, we need to write a document that is embeddable within their own documents, right? And it can be branded under their own brand and they can right. modify it if they want. So, so that way it's kind of uh, indirect by nature, even if we are selling direct. Yeah, that makes sense. And so most of the content that you're producing is for those OEMs, right? And then some of that content actually ends up at their end user. We, it may, yes. Yes, it may. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of the content, um, some of the content is actually designed for very end users to use so they can utilize this functionality. And some of the functions is just hidden to the very end user. It's designed for people that want to infuse our technology. And that's just instruction how to infuse it. So end user doesn't need to, doesn't, is not even right. interested in that part, but you're right. Yeah. So it has different tiers and different layers of getting this done in the right way. And, um, and to be honest with you, I had this business also as part of my previous business, 
But when I look at the way we did it first time around over there, um, I would say we did it at the POC level, right? So it was a proof of concept. We started doing that. And then when I really, you know, work on it, every mistake you make, you learn from it. Every time you do it right. and you say, oh, this is the better way to do it. And it really takes some time to think through everything and then say, yeah. this is the best way you can do it. And if you know it from at from the beginning, it's just different experience. It's like, you know, you wanted to build a hospital. And when you build the hospital, it is a better hospital building versus you start the building and you yet you don't know if it's going to be high school or high or hotel or it's going to be hospital. And then you try to build something and then decide later and then you make it a hospital. And then maybe the electricity is not there. Maybe it doesn't have the emergency right. power and some other things. And you have to tweak it. It still can be a hospital, but not the best yeah. hospital, right? So. Yeah, yeah, because you're retrofitting instead of building it in from the beginning. So it makes perfect sense. Well, this has been wonderful talking with you. And thank you so much for sharing about your journey and how your company sells and um, how you've grown sales uh, tremendously. And uh, I'm just so excited to watch you continue to grow this company. I'm sure um, that you'll probably exit from here and I can't wait to see what you'll do after this. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be something fun and unique. Um, but I, as our, you know, kind of as we part ways today, thinking about other CEOs who maybe are doing it for the first time, maybe six or 10 years in, but they're really trying to increase their scale sales and maybe scale even a little bit, you know, instead of just getting out there and getting new logos, give us some words of advice. Honestly, it's, uh, I would not underestimate the complexity. So I'm not saying that it's an easy job and, Maybe it requires a little bit of luck as well. So it's, it has a lot of things, but I understand that any business, any CEO, any founder can do much better if there's enough capital and cash in hand. Right. So that, so I get it. I'm not saying that, you know, I just know how it works and I can make it work every time. Um, but that's part of the magic. So you have to have access to that, but it's not the only thing that makes you successful. So even if you give unlimited financial resources to someone does not guarantee the success is one of the things that has to be there. So the capital at any given time has to be there. It's like oxygen. You cannot live without it, but just having oxygen does not mean that you will be, you know, a very successful person just because you have access to oxygen to breathe. So there is the other part is really the kind of, uh, as we discussed, the market is there for your product. So the need is real and the product delivers and that strategy is there. So that's the other part. If that's not there, even if capital is there, it doesn't make any difference. It's not going to work. And then after that, even if you have it still, it doesn't mean success. The third piece is do you have a team? Do you have a, the, the, do you have someone who can execute, who can plan, who can strategize? And that way of planning and discipline and kind of, you know, just the planning part and execution, I think is a yeah. big deal. And then of course, last, by no means least, 
is the team and people. Because everything we talked without the right people and the right team is meaningless. So if you have the right people, then they can help you to maybe adjust the product, maybe find the right market, even if it's not perfect. If you have mm -hmm. the right people, help you to bring investment and cash more so you have more to do more. Maybe the right people can fine tune the plan and do the planning and these kind of things. But at the end of the day, it goes back to at the end of the day is any company is great because of their people. If Apple is doing a fantastic job, if Microsoft doing a fantastic job, Amazon, all of these, you know, great companies we know because they had fantastic team that could really make that happen. It's impossible without a great team you do anything meaningful, regardless of money you have, regardless of anything else that we talk. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of things that if one of them is missing, success is not there. Unfortunately, it's and, it's not or. Yes, 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 yes. I so agree with you. And I'm also going to add that it's a great team because they have a great leader with a vision to work for. And without that great leader with that vision, it's hard to be a great team. So that's really important too. And you sound like the kind of CEO that anyone would love to work for. You know, you're innovative and um, kind and caring and um, concerned about whether the customers are successful and you are growing and learning along with your team. And as I always say, um, the CEO always has a role in sales, right? From beginning and being the founder to you have a huge team of people out there selling for you, but you always have a role in sales. And that role is to make sure that your salespeople have what they need to be successful and to make the customers successful. So thanks again, Arman. It's just been great talking with you and I will look forward to keeping in touch with you. My pleasure. Thanks again for having me on your show. Thanks for tuning in to Sales Talk for CEOs. You can find me at alicehyman.com. Be sure and connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know that you heard the show. If you found value in today's episode, please subscribe, write a review, and share the show with another CEO.